Good morning. Well, thankfully, we have another easy passage to teach through today. Actually, it is fairly easy. In some ways, it's our, our culture is primarily what, what makes it extremely tough passage. It might be good to, get, to start this morning with how Paul introduces himself at the beginning of this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. God commanded Paul's apostleship. So we are coming up against authority in what Paul has written here as in everywhere in the scripture. The essence of this passage is that teaching or leading with authority in the church is not the role of women but of men. Uh, Paul said he did not allow women to teach or exercise authority over the men but instead he called women to learn in a quiet and submissive way in the church meeting. So what exactly does this mean? Uh, why does Paul say this? And how do we obey this today? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, this is not a popular teaching today. And sadly, one reason for this is that some men throughout history and, of course, currently, have used this teaching and Paul's teaching on husbands and wives to justify an ungodly pride, uh, an ungodly domineering spirit, and even abuse of women. But while we condemn wholeheartedly that distortion of Scripture, we cannot cancel out the very thing that Paul clearly does teach. And I think it's important to approach this as well as everything in the Bible with, with this basic understanding. There is nothing God has commanded that is not good and right. Uh, God's commands make for a blessed and a happy life. Psalm 128.1 says, How blessed or how happy are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of the labor in, of your hands and you will be blessed and it will be well with you. So we gladly love and accept whatever God commands us. We first, of course, need to clearly understand it, rightly understand it, and then we gladly love, accept, and submit to whatever God says because it's good and it will go well with us as we walk in his truth. Not to get too far ahead of myself, but I think it is a thing of beauty to watch husbands and wives walk together. Husbands showing love and honor to their wives and humbly sacrificing for their wives and wives respecting their husbands and submitting to him as head of the home as is fitting in the Lord, as Paul puts it. And I think it is a thing of great beauty to watch men and women in the church praying together, loving each other, honoring each other, being built up and benefiting from each other's spiritual gifts and all of our interaction with each other, yet while accepting God's plan that men would be the ones who teach the scripture and exercise authority in the church. 
Of course, this does not mean that women are inferior to men. Women are not inferior to men. They are not less intelligent. They are not less capable. They are not of less value to God. Jesus cared for women. Jesus talked with women one-on-one. He befriended women. He healed women. And most important of all, he died for women. It was a woman who shared such outstanding love for Jesus that Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached in the entire world, what this woman has done for me will also be told in memory of her. Women were the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, and I could go on and on and on. Women were also active in the New Testament church. Uh, Priscilla, along with her husband Aquila, it says, explained the way of God more fully to Apollos. Paul said there were two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Women prayed with the 12 apostles and the other disciples in the upper room just before the Holy Spirit fell on the church. Women died as martyrs in the Roman arenas and Colosseums with indescribable courage, boldly witnessing to their faith in Christ. Women have been, done much to bring the gospel to the nations. I think of Elizabeth Elliot, Amy Carmichael, Mary Slessor, Gladys Aylward, and Catherine Booth. I've read biographies of all of them. Women are vital in the church today. Uh, women have been given spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ, and we are all called upon to exercise and use those gifts for the benefit, for the good of the body. So it is a great distortion of Scripture to only or mainly emphasize the limitation here for women. But nevertheless, there is a limitation taught by Paul. Now, for almost 2,000 years, this passage would have been taught in most churches without any thought that it was inflammatory or controversial. I'm not saying it was always taught with the proper uh, balance or spirit. I'm not saying women have always been treated well in the church or in the home. I don't think that's the case. I'm not saying that there's never been any resistance. But what I am saying is that from the early church until about 50 years ago, uh, no pastor would have felt much fear about teaching 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'll admit that when I saw that this was my passage that was before me for this week, I had a little bit of, uh, I'm not sure if anxiety is quite the right word, but you know, I felt a little extra weight, weightiness about it just because I know the, the controversy, the, the, the opposition, um, actually the fact, that, the fact that this teaching is, is, is literally hated and dis- despised. So... Uh, but th- that, that sort of uh, thing wouldn't have, wouldn't have necessarily been how pastors would have felt teaching this uh, up, up until about 50 years ago, as I said. Uh, the Episcopal Church, would, which could justifiably be, be considered the most liberal denomination or 
the denomination that is that is moved away from the authority of Scripture the, the farthest and the most rapidly. That denomination uh, had the, they ordained women for the first time in that church in 1976. I know there was, that uh, took place some in some, some Pentecostal circles, circles prior to that, but in the first major denomination that was the first time that women were ordained in 1976. And that, that's just 45 years ago. Uh, today, the Episcopal Church uh, proudly proclaims that in the Episcopal Church, people, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation, are ordained as deacons, priests, and bishops. All right, with... That understanding, a little bit, and that little bit of background, let's get more deeply into this. Paul's instruction for women here has to do with the church or when the church is gathered for worship. Paul said he wrote to Timothy so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church, the church of the living God. In other words, this does not apply to every conversation between every man and woman in every setting, but when the church comes together. And Paul begins by saying, in the church, women are to learn. And I'm going to stop right there. That's not a complete phrase. I understand that. But I want to stop right there. Women are to learn God's truth. They are to be as knowledgeable and as equipped and trained in truth as any man. It is not feminine to not know the Bible or to not understand the gospel. Women are to know and love the word of God. They are to become teachers of younger women, Paul says. This passage has to do with the attitude and manner in which women are to learn. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Learn quietly or learn in quietness. Interestingly, if you've been here at church for a few weeks, this is the same word that Paul used earlier in the chapter when he said to lead a peaceful and quiet life. It's the same word he used when he exhorted the Thessalonians to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Commentator David Guzik said, learning in quietness has the idea of women receiving the teaching of the man God has chosen to lead the church with submission instead of contention. Uh, some misunderstanding, I think, has come uh, from the uh, King James Version. Not, I'm not knocking the King James Version at, at all here, but which, but which uses the word silence rather than Quietness, and if you look through pretty much all the major solid uh, translations, they, they all say quietness uh, rather than the King James Version, which says silence. But, but living quietly, which is what this word means, is, is, is living quietly is not the same as living in complete silence. Paul does not mean that women are to, never to utter a word when we gather for worship. They clearly are to sing and pray in, in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, I believe, believe Paul makes it clear that, that women are 
to pray and prophesy in church. He, he even gives guidelines for how that's to happen. But he means for that, them, for women, to have a quiet manner or spirit in the church um, gathering. He said women are to learn with submissiveness. Uh, submission means to respect those as God, God has put in authority. In general, uh, submission is a godly quality for all believers. I think sometimes men and women forget that. An attitude to submission is a godly quality for all believers. In Ephesians 5, uh, 23, I believe it is, Paul said, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And Peter, exhorting all believers, said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as to the supreme authority or to governors. And of course, wives are directly instructed, instructed or specifically instructed to be submissive toward their husbands and in several scriptures that I could point to, and women in the church here are instructed to be submissive as they are taught in the church. It doesn't mean that women are to have no opinion or they're to not exercise discernment or that they have nothing to contribute. It does mean to show a humble and teachable spirit while learning. Paul said, I do not permit them to teach or exercise authority. Uh, since teaching and exercising authority in the church are things church elders are specifically to do, at, at least part of what Paul is saying is that women are not to teach and assume authority over the church or over men in the church, which is or as in the role of an elder. So this would prohibit women from being elders of the church or to get up and teach in an authoritative way as an elder would do. Uh, David Guzik said, whatever speaking or teaching is done by a woman must be done in submission to the men God has appointed to lead the church. Uh, this doesn't mean that women uh, can't teach or uh, are never given the spiritual gift of teaching. I don't think that's true at all. Paul specifically instructs women to become teachers of the younger women. And some women are tremendously gifted Bible teachers. It doesn't mean that men can't learn from women. Uh, my wife shares verses and quotes that I learn from her all the time. And I mean, usually when we're sitting down talking, we're usually sitting and down talking about the Bible stuff that she's reading, learning, challenged by. And I am often uh, greatly built up and encouraged by that. And I'm often greatly built up by the truths and insights shared by women in our life group, uh, in our prayer times, and just in conversation with other women. This doesn't mean that women cannot preach in the sense of sharing the gospel. Women can do that with virtually everyone they meet. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once gave a sermon titled, All At It, All At It, on Acts 8, 4 through 5, which he said that having been scattered, Christian men and women went everywhere preaching the word and the essence or part of that sermon was to call men and women to, that we are all at it. We are all at the 
uh, mission of proclaiming and preaching the gospel. Women prayed and prophesied in the New Testament church. I, I believe this is clear from 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 12, 13, 14. And women can share a testimony saying or encourage the saints through a spoken word. Uh, but God has given the responsibility of governing the church and teaching scripture or doctrine in the church to men and specifically to the elders. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well or govern well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And there's quite a few references that I could point to actually that the elders are to be gifted at teaching. They have the responsibility to be faithful at teaching. Uh, they are, Paul says, they are over you in the Lord and, and they admonish or exhort you. Uh, we're told to obey your leaders and submit to them, so forth. So uh, authority in the church is, is never... Um, to be a harsh or domineering authority. Peter makes that clear. He says the elders, you're, you're not to lord it over the flock. This is, this is not any kind of heavy-handed authority. Uh, mainly, mainly you do it through example. But there is authority in the church. It is an authority. There is a governing. There is a ruling, as Paul calls it. And Paul simply said that place is to be filled by men and not by women. Well, what is the reason for this instruction for women? Verse 13 says, For or because Adam was formed first, then Eve. It, it goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes back before sin entered the world. It goes before sin warped all of us before sin bent the relationship between men and women. It goes all the way back to, to relationship between Adam and Eve when marriage, at least for a short time, was perfect and the relationship between men and women were perfect. God created Adam first and Eve was created for him and that had meaning then and it has meaning for us now. Genesis 2.18, I'm going to go back and just look briefly at part of this passage. It says that you know, after God formed or created Adam, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper or I will make him a helper fit for him, meaning suitable or just right for him or a perfect companion and helper. And then the Lord made a woman from the rib and brought her woman. He brought her. He brought this woman to the man. And Adam saw that this was a wonderful gift from God. And he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she should be called woman and so forth. You know the story, or at least most of you do. My point here is simply that sin did not make us male and female. God did. Uh, the role of, of, of woman as a perfect companion, a suitable helper, a helper who was just right for the man, 
was not given to women because of the fall, but because God created woman for that beautiful purpose in the very beginning. And yes, yes, sin has perverted that role much of the time down throughout history, and even today. Sin has perverted that role into sometimes virtual slavery and abuse of women. But wherever men and women are born of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and taught by the Word of God, the, the beauty of this God-created relationship is restored. So Paul said that the reality that God created woman after man and for the man shows a kind of submission that God intended from the beginning. And while Paul's argument here is made very briefly, almost cryptically, he used the same reason in 1 Corinthians 11, which I'm going to read some verses from that chapter for you. But Paul said, but I, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The man, he is the image and glory of God, but woman is for the glory of man. For man was not made from a woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That's verses 3 and 7 through 9. Yet Paul added, almost to, to kind of balance this out or to protect this from being abused by men, in verse 11 and 12 he said, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is born of woman, and all things are from God. In other words, Men and women, we need each other. And we should never act sort of arrogantly or as though we are some way independent of each other. Men and women are both from God. They are both wonderful, amazing uh, creations of God. And the unique contribution that men and women bring is from God. I, Paul says, he concludes this by saying, all things are from God. Certainly all these things that he's just been talking about. Now the second part of Paul's argument has to do with how the, the uh, first sin happened. I don't think this is really a second argument. I think it just is kind of a follow through from the first one. In verse 14, Adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. Now this is, strikes me as interesting uh, were actually kind of surprising because we all know Adam did sin. And in fact, in most of the Bible, that's all we hear about. Adam was the one who sinned. Romans 5 lays all the, all the future sin and death and condemnation that is in the world, it lays it at the feet of Adam because Adam sinned. Through, through his sin, sin entered the world. So what is Paul up to here? Here in this chapter, the point is that Eve was deceived into sinning against God first and by herself, uh, apart from Adam and without Adam being deceived. And again, this is fairly cryptic, so I, I want to be very careful here, but, but Paul 
he, he specifically pointed out that Adam was not deceived or had not sinned against God at this point. At this point, Adam was still in an unfallen state. But Eve went out and she was deceived on her own. She went out from her place of being Adam's helper companion and she was created for Adam not to go out to make a unilateral decision about the things that God had spoken. All right, I hope that's clear. Um, Paul's basically pointing out that Eve was created second for Adam, but in this case, she went out on her own and was deceived even before Adam fell or sinned. And so Paul uses this as an explanation for why a woman was not to teach with authority over men in the church meeting. Not because women in general are more easily deceived than men. Uh, people could argue that, but it, it, it's not here in this passage. It's not in, in Genesis. Uh, or it's not that, not even that this is given as a perpetual, some kind of perpetual punishment for women because Eve was deceived, but because God created the male and female relationship to work in a certain way from the beginning. And he points out how that didn't work well when Eve stepped out on her own and was deceived. So Adam was to be the head and Eve was to be his suitable helper. And Paul said he wants that relationship to be reflected, especially for, uh, for Christians in Christian marriage and in the church. Some say that this instruction for women was only temporary and all the difference in roles in the home and in the church were to be phased out by the teaching that male and female are all one in Christ. And that's taken from Galatians 3.28 where Paul says there's, there's no longer slave nor free, Greek or Jew, male or female, we're all one in Christ. Uh, but there is nothing in the scripture that would tell us that all these other teachings about the unique contributions of male and female uh, were to be phased out. Uh, and the unique roles for men and women are really taught throughout the New Testament in multiple places, not just in this passage by both Peter and Paul. And I think it's, it's clear that we can all be one in Christ Jesus and yet be different and do different things. It's just, it's just a reality of life. All you have to do is op open, your, open your eyes a little bit to see that. Uh, some say Paul was referring to women who were false teachers at Ephesus and therefore uh, this has no application to the church today. Uh, but Paul could easily have said that he meant this only for women who are false teachers. And if his concern was false teaching, why would he want only the women who were false teachers not to teach or exercise authority in the church? I'm pretty sure there were more men who were false teachers than women. And finally, the reason that he gives for his instruction to women is, 
is, is not because they are teaching something false, but rather because of how God made man and woman in the beginning. Then Paul goes on to say, yet women will be saved through childbearing, childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The New Living Translation has a note here. It says, or will be saved by accepting their role as mothers. Paul is not saying women become Christians by having children. He's not saying women are justified before God by bearing a child. What he's saying, I believe, is that but women will experience safety and well-being, especially deliverance from the snares of Satan as you bear and raise children and continue on in faith, love, and holiness. And I could spend a lot of time going into some different scriptures to justify why I believe that's what Paul is meaning, but I think that's clearly from this verse and from other teaching throughout First, uh, first and Second Timothy what Paul means. Remember J.I. Packer's definition. Salvation means to be delivered from jeopardy so that you are now safe. That's, that's what biblical salvation means. And it has lots of different applications. Obviously, it applies to our eternal salvation, being safe in the wrath of God, but it applies in many different ways throughout the Bible. Salvation means to be delivered from jeopardy so that you are now safe. And Paul is saying, women, you will be kept safe spiritually by focusing on your high calling as mothers by being moms and walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit in faith and love and holiness and godliness, all of that. And of course, Paul is speaking generally here. Not, not all women have children and some women are even called by God to be single. But in general, he's saying women will find safety and well-being and wholeness and protection from the devil in this kind of life. So Paul is exalting motherhood and godly character for women. He's lifting up motherhood as this salvic, salvic saving quality. He's setting this before women as a good thing. Being a mother in this fallen world is about the most amazing, most awesome, most glorious thing there is. And that privilege belongs to women. Amen? Megan McCain, who is not a believer in any sense that I understand, uh, said this, though, which I thought was so powerful. After she recently gave birth to a little girl, she said, motherhood is euphoria. All the cliches have come true and exceeded well beyond my wildest expectations. It is hands down the best thing I have ever done in my entire life. And I am completely in awe of our daughter. That's a great understanding and appreciation of motherhood. 
So Paul is exalting motherhood. He is also exalting godly character for women. Um, all men and women can pursue faith and love and holiness. Uh, and of course, a woman does not have to have children to walk in those things. But he is, he is appealing to women or saying that women find salvation through bearing children and walking in godly character. And he is lifting those, those things up before women as the things that they are uh, to pursue. Just a couple of other brief closing comments that I think might be important to be said. Uh, first of all, I love seeing women who do not have children being moms to others, other people's children in the church. I think that's a beautiful thing, and I think it pleases God. And I would also add that exalting motherhood is not to say that women can only raise children. You read Proverbs 31, and the woman, she, you know, she, she buys and sells, she does business, uh, very, she's very capable and active, and uh, you, just, you, you see a thoroughly capable woman. But generally, Paul is saying that God has ordained the, the role of bearing and raising children for women, and is, it is a part of their salvation and spiritual safety. And so that's what we want to do here at Real Life Church. We want to exalt uh, women and this place of motherhood and women walking in faith and love and holiness. We want to honor and praise that. So, you know, I, I trust you'll find these words uh, life-giving and as strange as it may sound, I, I trust that you will find these words uh, liberating. There, there is a, I mean, the devil kills, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil hinders and puts people in bondage. And God's word sets us free. And I think his word, properly understood, really leads us into a life-giving liberating way of living for both men and women. Amen. Let's pray.